there, it's Thursday. Welcome on in. It's a throwaway Thursday on the EP podcast, June 11th, 2020. I'm Austin Horton. Thanks for tuning in. Got a lot to get to in a short amount of time being a throwaway Thursday. If you haven't heard or, or kept up, throwaway Thursday refers to uh, not long segments, not huge deep topics, but uh, fun, fun, sometimes fun, sometimes important, but they're not going to take up a lot of time topics. And so we just uh, go rapid fire and throw this show away in a good sense. Uh, And that sounds weird. Uh, I've explained it better on previous episodes of this podcast. But essentially, there's no such thing as a throwaway topic. Uh, I disagree. I think there are throwaway topics. No such thing as throwaway segments. It's what you do with the topic that makes the segment worthwhile or not. Uh, So a little semantics there. We got to talk about the big NBA news that has a lot of people... Uh, wringing their hands today. We've got to talk about this situation with the NCAA and USC and Reggie Bush. Uh, A story about an amazing Python fight in Florida. And one Major League Baseball uh, organization is doing something I never thought they would do and owning mistakes that I never thought they'd own. We'll talk about that and so much more. But we start each and every day out the very same way. This day in sports history. And yes, June 11th. Was Today is the, the, the 23rd anniversary of the flu game. That famous 1997 NBA Finals matchup between the Jazz and the Bulls uh, that uh, saw Jordan go for 38 points while taking IVs in the locker room and be, having to be held up by Scottie Pippen as he left the floor, on and on and on. Uh, it was an it was incredible game by a man who was obviously not feeling well. And sometimes that gets uh, laughed at because some people thought think it was the hangover game. Some people think he went to Vegas. Others think he was actually food poisoned because that's what he and Tim Grover claimed. Uh, but of course, he wasn't food poisoned, as we heard from Craig Fight, the man who claims to have delivered, made and delivered the pizza to Jordan himself just a few weeks ago on the big show. Joining us now is Craig Fight, who delivered the pizza to Michael Jordan. We got a call, and a guy all of a sudden motioned me over because he knew I was the only Bulls fan in the store. He goes, it might be one of the players. And I remember saying, I'll make the pizza because I don't want any of you doing anything to it. And then I told the driver, I said, you're going to take me there. Both of us are in uniform. Security guy looks at us as going in. I remember one of the players saying, oh, hey, pizza, who's that for? And I said, I don't know. It's room this. And they went, oh, for Mike. So I knock on the door, and this great guy who's been saying all this crap lately, he answers the door. And I'm handing him the pizza, and I said, can I at least say hi to Mike? Why not? It's my one shot, right? The door kind of opens up a little bit more. Mike's in the room, raises his hand. He said, thanks, man. They got shut the door, and that's the extent of the whole story. It's tough to get food poisoning off a of pizza, unless, of course, obviously you add something to it, but that didn't happen because it sure as heck didn't leave my hands. So there you go. Craig Fight saying, no, there's there's no way he was poisoned, uh, at least not on purpose uh, th- anyway. But now from, uh, I, and I'm stealing this from Athlon Sports today as we do this day in sports history. They've got five quote-unquote food poison accusations over the history of sports, including uh, that that one, uh, the uh, Michael Jordan one, they've listed as the number two biggest. Uh, but they, they also said the alleged pizzeria owner has now refuted the allegations. Uh, Craig wasn't the uh, pizzeria owner. He, he worked there, but... Anywho, uh, things get lost in the game of telephone, I suppose, from time to time. But let's go ahead and start uh, down this list of five. I did not know about this one. Lamar Jackson 
This was just this last year in the in the playoffs in the NFL playoffs. The Titans beat the Ravens twenty eight to twelve in the AFC divisional round, which prompted me to win a bet against Gordon Monson. Uh, but there were social media outcries that blamed the loss on Miss Carter's Kitchen, a West Baltimore soul food restaurant where Lamar Jackson and teammates had dined the night before the game. After the comments about the food became too much, owner uh, Sia Carter responded on Instagram saying he's been eating it all year, dummy. Uh, Number four, Warren Sapp, 2003, one of the most vocal athletes to speak out on the issue of food poisoning. He claimed that his food was poisoned in 2003 before the NFC Championship game between the Buccaneers and Eagles. He did not say who or how did the poisoning, though. Either Sapp caught it before he ate it or played through it because Tampa Bay dominated the Eagles in a 27-10 win. 2002, Kobe Bryant. The Lakers were in Sacramento to play the Kings in Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals, and Bryant woke with food poisoning after eating a room-service meal of a bacon cheeseburger and a slice of cheesecake. Bryant managed to score 22 points in a 96-90 loss. The Lakers won the series in seven games. Food poisoning was deliberate or not, that was never determined. Of course, number two they've listed here, Michael Jordan. Although it wasn't uh, intentional food poisoning, if food poisoning at all. And then number one, this there have been books written about this moment. 1959, the Oklahoma Sooners had lost four total games in seven seasons and entered the 1959 college football campaign ranked number two. They traveled to Chicago to open the season against Northwestern and were treated to dinner at the city's Shea Perry nightclub. Before the main course was served, players were violently throwing up in the bathroom and the parking lot. The team did not have a flu game moment, though, as the Wildcats thrashed the Sooners 45-13 in the worst loss of head coach Bud Wilkinson's career. Many of the players believed they were systematically food poisoned, and some even speculated that the dun-dun-dun mafia had a hand in it. And that's the part the books and essays and studies have been written about and, and performed on. Did the mafia, for betting purposes, poison a bunch of college football players? So there you go. Nothing nothing better than a good conspiracy or five. The food poisoning accusations throughout the sports history uh, in our country and, and, and abroad. Okay, if you've missed this news from Adrian Wojnarowski, he's citing sources that 40 to 50 NBA players have been on conference calls over the past 24 hours discussing a number of their concerns on the planned restart in Orlando. And a lot of those players are leaning towards not playing or not participating, possibly. So the NBA and the NBP or NBAPA are working towards uh, uh, a, a compromise, an idea, a, a solution to where players can voluntarily bow out of the Orlando situation and miss their pay that they would get for those eight regular season games and then what they would make if they were to make it into the playoffs. And that would be their only punishment. Their only retribution would be they would not get their money if they don't show up in Orlando. That's what the NBA and MBPA are working towards right now. But the bigger problem here is that... uh, It's causing a lot of consternation, a lot of strife, a lot of stress, a lot of frustration, uh, and a lot of hullabaloo in a situation that doesn't need any more hullabaloo. 
And before I, I, I play some comments that I thought Hans Olsen and Scotty G uh, did a really good job of uh, both entertaining and informing us on their show this morning about this topic, I just wanted to say I think every single individual scenario and situation has to be examined by itself. I don't think you can lump in, and it's impossible not to in today's society, and the news will lump it in this way, but I hate it. I don't think you can divide a line down the middle and say those who aren't participating versus those who are participating, and it's all the, and they're all the same for all the same reasons, and, and you think of them as just one and two entities and groups, because each person that decides to play is has a unique set of circumstances that is going into that decision, and each person that decides not to play has a unique set of circumstances going into that decision. My part that I'm frustrated by is if their decision not to play, if they're hiding behind the virus or calling or saying that they're afraid when really they just want to be done because of the layoff and they don't want to have to get geared back up to come play, if that's happening, which I would think that that's a rare mindset, but I wouldn't rule it out, if that's happening, I got a big-time issue with it. And something that Hans and Scotty hit on here that you'll hear in a moment, there are people whose jobs and families depend on this bubble happening. And it's not like they're, they're inviting the world to the bubble. And they're going to have the, the best doctors, the best resources, the best environments for you to be in if you get the virus or to avoid getting the virus. So uh, it's just it's frustrating to me when millionaires are uh, refusing or, or hiding behind real world problems just so that they can stay in their cushy life. And like I said, I don't have any exact data or evidence that that is happening. But if that is one one of the players or coaches or whoever's mindset, then that they should be uh, they they should be called out for it. But that said, as frustrating as it can be, the situation remains. The truth remains. I should say that each individual has a family, has a, a their own life to weigh into their decision whether or not they play in Orlando. But the frustration that you're going to hear here from Hans Olsen and Scotty G is uh, I, I can get behind it wholeheartedly because, you know, we've seen really good people who are really good at their job lose their job because the NBA got put on hold and not because they weren't good at their job. They lost their job simply because the NBA could not play and they, they, there were budgetary decisions that, that were unfortunately made and it had to be made, and it's terrible. And it's not unique to our situation. This is just one example of the NBA impacting all these jobs. But this is happening around the world with this pandemic, and we've got to find a freaking way to live with the pandemic amongst us safely. We have to. We can't hole up in our houses, never go anywhere, and wait for a vaccine. Now, and that's I'm, ta- I'm painting with a broad brush there. Everybody can't do that. There are circumstances in individual people's lives where that is required, and I don't begrudge that at all. And actually, my heart breaks for those people who can't get out of their home. Uh, but really, we've got to find a way to put on a mask when you go out, stay six feet away from people, wash your hands, shower, bathe, 
use good hygiene, wash your clothes, do these things that first world opportunities provide you with, and don't take them for granted, and we'll, we'll be able to live with this thing uh, until we get a vaccine. All right, that's my piece on it. Here's what Hans and Scotty had to say. You look frustrated. I, I'm, I'm really frustrated. <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm, I'm extremely frustrated. I, I'm gritting my teeth and biting my tongue a little bit because, you know, I, I want to be rational over this, but it, it, the NBA is doing everything they can to cater to these guys. Yeah. Everything they can. I've been in the NFL. I understand what type of medical attention you get when you're a professional athlete. I get what lengths these guys are going to to make it a safe environment. And this comes down to selfishness. This isn't about, oh, I'm going to get sick when I'm in the bubble. No, you're not going to get sick in the bubble. The PGA Tour just brought back 487 guys. They tested all 487. There were zero positives, and they're off and on the course, and they're golfing. Shocked by that, by the way. I thought they'd have at least a handful of Zero yeah. out of 487. I promise you that bubble is tight, and I promise you they're taking every precaution, and I promise you even if 20 of them got it, they would all live. It would be hard. Yeah. They would go through some struggles, but they'd live because that's what percentages are showing us with this demo. So I, 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 I probably ought to just stop now because I, I am. I'm really frustrated with all this. You know, we're watching these protests. I'm watching 120,000 people shoved into a street in L.A., shoulder to shoulder. And, and we're fine with that. But now we're talking about busting apart a 1,000-person bubble that's going to have every possible measure taken. Tests every single day. Well, I've got a family. All of us have a family, but we're all having to do what we have to do for our jobs. So you're gone for three months. That's not that bad. You take into consideration training camp, and you take into consideration uh, your your typical ordinary playoff situation, yeah. and you're gone a lot anyways. And let's be honest, you're not. I mean, only two teams are going to be gone for three months. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only exactly. four teams are going to be gone for two months. Like, let's be honest here. You, you got to be the you got to be the ones that want to be gone because you feel like you're going yeah. to win the championship anyway. If if you're in a situation where like, oh my gosh, I'm so upset, I'm going to be gone for three months. You're probably not going to be gone for three months. You're going to be gone for about three to four weeks. So if you're San Antonio and you're like, well, we're without LaMarcus Aldridge, why are we even going? Well, then just show up and just give in. Wave the white flag and just give in. Yeah. Fine. But show up and get your stupid eight games and then go away. Take your, you, you, you all want to cry about it. Then go away. Take your little eight-game eight paychecks and leave. And, and look, if Popovich doesn't feel comfortable being there at age 71, then don't go. If you feel like you want to be there, then go. But it's his choice. Yeah. We can't tell a coach. You can't discriminate off age and say, well, it's a pandemic. We can't allow a 70-year-old. No, you can't do that. That's illegal. He makes that decision. You can't. There's no age discrimination. So if I want to risk myself, and by the way, if I'm 71 and I'm looking at the Orlando bubble, I'm going to raise my hand and be like, I'm going to be there to coach my team because it's the Orlando bubble. It's safer than my current environment. By the way, we talked to Craig Buller, Jack. Buller is like, I will go. Three months, I'm in. David Locke. And Buller's in his late 30s. David Locke, who's in his early 30s, said, <laughs> I'll go. I want to go. 
I mean, like, and, and I'm not comparing our, I'm just saying that there's a lot of people who really want this thing to happen. There's a lot of people who really want this thing to be successful. And, and it's going to happen. And I don't mind, like, look, if a guy wants to sacrifice his money and not go, then so be it. That's fine. But to, to try to drag the whole thing down with you, I'm not all right with that. I'm not all right with it. There's a lot of livelihoods, and there's a lot of people that are counting on this thing to happen. I'm just, I guess, uh, I there there are a lot of things going on that are are that are causing some problems with me. I I'm watching things happen, and I'm just I'm getting to the point now where I'm 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 overly frustrated about things. Yeah, I'm with you. I hear you. <laughs> you're you're preaching to the choir on that one, my friend. It's a safe bubble. It is. It is. And and guess what? If you if you get sick there, it's the best place to be. Yeah. Like I said, it's a frustrating situation. You you feel like it's right there at the tip of your fingers, ready to go again, and then a, a few uh, bumps in the road pop up. And if players decide not to play, that's up to them. I like that the NBA is going to just allow them to not go to Orlando without you know facing roster losing their gig or whatever uh and they'll just lose pay but I also have a bit of a problem with them losing pay for those eight games because it seems to me like they signed a contract and that contract means that they get paid for the season and just because their team decides to play but they can't or won't I don't think that you should withhold their pay NBA because yes there's going to be that rare uh, rare situation where the guy is choosing not to play just cuz well yeah then that person should miss out on their pay obviously but there's I would get bet the vast majority of players that choose not to show up and not to play would have a really good legitimate familial or personal reason attached to medical decisions that is safer for them not to be there I you know and so don't withhold their pay just because they can't control that scenario. Anyway, there you go. That's stop one uh, on the show today. Another bit of ridiculous news going around right now is this whole Reggie Bush saga and how it continues to uh, be insane. Zion Williamson is going through a very similar thing that Reggie Bush went through years ago. And look, they've both chosen this path, allegedly. They both chose to take illegal improper benefits under the rules of the NCAA but I'm not sure they, they they broke any laws of the land but anyway in any case the NCAA has announced that the 10-year ban between Reggie Bush and USC is going to be lifted he's going to have his trophy his Heisman trophy returned his records reinstated and he'll be able to once again associate with the University of Southern California that's the good news the bad news is that the NCAA is still doing NCAA things. They should say, look, we're lifting this ban and we're never going to impose a ban like this again. I thought Mike Greenberg of ESPN put it really well today on the show Get Up. The notion of forced disassociation is steadfastly ridiculous. It is like first placing on, on, a, on a human being the scarlet letter like he's Hester <laughs> Prynne and, and be, behaving as though he's a criminal when at maximum what he did was violate some ridiculous rules that you've set up in the first place. And, and the fact that they have the authority or someone has decided they have the authority to force a university to disassociate themselves from a human being who didn't do anything so terrible in the major scheme of things is a 
joke. And, and the, I'm sure there are a lot of people who have never even heard of this who are saying, wait, they can do that? They could just decide for 10 years you're not allowed to have anything? Who are they to say that? Who in the world are they to decide what yeah. USC wants to have to do with Reggie Bush? You want to take his Heisman away? That's a whole other conversation. But the notion that they can just say, here, you have to wear the scarlet A or NCAA or whatever letters they want to put on him. To me, to me Paul Feinbaum is a joke. Right? In fact, I've, I'm already correcting myself. They should definitely give him his Heisman back. Desmond, where is it? I want to know where the Heisman is. This is going to be, I'm going to go get it. I'm going to, I, I want to go get it and personally Desmond, give, give it back your to him. I don't mean to make a, at a time when I'm so wondering. many really important things are going on, this obviously isn't that important, but it's just the goal of people to say, yeah, for 10 years, you have to disassociate yourself from this human being who might have taken some money under circumstances we right. deem inappropriate. Get out of here with that. Amen, Greeny. Reggie Bush, he, he, he played in 39 games at USC, but only started 14 times, yet he finished 10th in NCAA Division I history with 6,541 all-purpose yards, racked up 3,169 yards and 25 touchdowns on 433 carries, averaging 7.3 yards per carry and 1,301 yards with 13 scores on 95 catches or 13.7 yards per catch. He won the Heisman. He went to the NFL. He was, in my opinion, a top 10 all-time college football player. And that USC, those USC years were, in my opinion, a top five college football program of all time. And it's a shame that he's not been able to be celebrated because his parents had a nice place to live and he had a nice car to drive around. Florida, doing Florida things. A guy named Mike Kimmel. He's a state-contracted python hunter. Yes, a state-contracted python hunter. Uh, He's known as the Python Cowboy. Well, he met his match Monday. He caught a 17-foot python, but it bit him so badly in his left arm he had to use a snake bag as a tourniquet to keep from bleeding out and dying. But if you want to check out his Instagram and Facebook video, it's it's about what you would expect. <laughs> this guy Kimmel, Mike Kimmel, uh, talking about his love and affinity for finding these invasive, dangerous to the ecosystem in Florida pythons and ridding the environment of them it is a job I would never, ever, ever dare do or want to have to be uh, attached to. Uh, and he might lose his arm. The deep was so the bite was so deep in his bicep, it severed a bunch of arteries and, and cut off some nerves. They think he might lose his arm. That's still up in the air. They are not sure if he keeps his arm if he'll be able to use it like he once did. But to his credit and his uh, company's credit, they've removed twenty nine seventy two thousand nine hundred and seventy invasive pythons in Florida saving miles upon miles of ecosystem from uh, the predator. So <laughs> Florida, doing Florida things. Just thought I'd share that, that crazy story with you. Uh, wrestling a 17-foot python, and here's what he said about his strategy. He said, uh, I knew going for her head first would be the easiest and safest capture method, but I couldn't turn down the chance to grab her by the tail and dance with the devil herself. I said, What? As soon as I grabbed hold of her, I sealed my fate. No turning back. She was coming for me. She immediately started to battle it out, taking strikes and pulling me into tall grass with her, making it difficult to dodge her strikes. She was able to successfully get a bite on me. I was lucky she didn't latch on and that I was able to pull out of it. He dragged her over to his 14-foot John boat and shot her in the head with a 22 pistol. 
uh, and, you know, ridded the Florida Everglades of one more predator. Florida. I, I don't, I'll never understand how it operates, why it operates that way, but I, man, I appreciate the incredible stories that come out of that, that state, and this guy's got more bravery or stupidity, you choose which one, than I'll ever have. And finally, this bit of news, this shocked me. Boston uh, has long been known as a troublesome spot for athletes of color, uh, meaning that the fans have a long reputation and history of being very uh, derogatory and racist and horrible to the both opposing fan, opposing players and their own team's players at times. Tory Hunter went on a radio appearance with Golick and Wingo recently and talked about experiences that he had in Fenway Park and that he faced a long-time racial abuse during visits to Fenway Park over his career with the, the Twins and the Angels and the Tigers. Uh, Adam Jones of the uh, Orioles has spoken about his experience as well. Well, and there's been numerous more that have talked about it and brought it up and accused Red Sox fans of being that way. Well, the Red Sox did something I never thought I'd see happen. They owned it and admitted to it and pledged to fix it. In a Twitter post, the Red Sox put, Tory Hunter's experience is real. If you doubt him because you've never heard it yourself, take it from us. It happens. Last year, there were seven reported incidents at Fenway Park where fans used racial slurs. Those are just the ones we know about. And it's not only players. It happens to the dedicated black employees who work for us on game days. Their uniforms may be different, but their voices and experiences are just as important. We are grateful to everyone who has spoken up and remained committed to using our platform to amplify the many voices who are calling out injustice. There are well-established consequences for fans who use racial slurs and hate speech in our venue, and we know we have more work to do. This small group of fans does not represent who we are, but are rather a reflection of larger systemic issues that as an organization we need to address. True change starts from within, and as we identify how we can do better, please know we are listening, we hear you, and we believe you. That last three words, the last three words, we believe you, and the first uh, five words, Tory Hunter's experience is real. That's gutsy stuff from the Red Sox to own that. To, uh, to say, to validate it and say, yeah, this stuff has happened and we got to make sure it doesn't happen anymore. My tip of the cap to the Boston Red Sox for being willing to admit and own up to where they have failed as an organization to protect both their employees and their players and the opposing player, players and employees that are visiting town from racism. Uh, they, they need to do better and they've owned it and they've admitted that. And again, I tip my cap to the Boston Red Sox, which is something I have never done and will rarely ever do again, I'm sure. That's it for a throwaway Thursday edition of the EP podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Austin Horton. Uh, we got Laugh of the Day coming right around the corner, getting you ready for a Wear Red Friday tomorrow. Until then, be good to each other. Now for the laugh of the day. <laughs> it was reported that a subject had entered the establishment with a horse. We have people come in with dogs and other animals, 
um, this is the first time with a horse. Technically, it was a Shetland pony, but yes, you heard right. A man entered this liquor store Monday just before closing time with a pony in tow. He then let that pony defecate on a rug and refused to clean it up. Um, they weren't happy. That's 51-year-old William Saviano, the pony's owner. He says he was at a kid's pony show down the street and stopped in for some wine on his way home. I didn't think it was a big deal. Neither did anybody else. Actually, the store's owner did. In fact, they were ready to press charges, but police were able to de-escalate the incident, bring Saviano back to the store where he cleaned up after his animal's mess. And Saviano says he's learned his lesson. Do you think you'll be bringing your pony back to that store? Not inside. 